Welcome everyone to the first official episode of the Rubbish Talk podcast. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts, Heather Beatty, and I'm here with my other host, Alistair Meldrum. Uh, we're kicking things off with an interview with Alistair for episode one for everyone to get a bit of insight into who he is, his business, and where his idea for the Rubbish Talk podcast came from. Um, so we're going to do a bit of a interview style today, um, hear a bit about Alistair, what he's got to say, about the industry, about his career, his journey in the waste management, and get a bit of an idea of how the podcast is going to go as we go forward with some new guests. So welcome, Alistair, to your own podcast. Thank (laughs) thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. Uh, We were meant to be joined by by Jane Bond today, but unfortunately she's she's a bit crooky and doesn't have much of a voice, so we thought we'd spare you of her uh, trying to speak. So uh, poor, poor Heather's having to do all the all the hard work and ask the questions. <laughs> so suppose I'll start, um, can I ask you a wee bit about your journey, but you can kick off however you want to describe yourself and who you are and what you do, um, let everyone know. Okay, thank you. Uh, well, I think I think part, part of the idea with these podcasts is, is to, to try and get a get some background about the, the the people that are involved in, in in the waste and resource management sector so i suppose with that in mind you know my, my journey goes back to i, I left i left school at uh, 16 uh, to go to university of strathclyde i was intending to stay on for my sixth year in scotland but i managed to get the grades i needed and and my my mum at the time was not you're off to uni as soon as you can because you've got the results so i went to do environmental health at university of strathclyde uh, i was back and finished that in 1990. i then uh, <clears throat> i then at the end of that obviously like like most people was looking for a, for a job uh, and when you do environmental health what you have to do is you've got to do your degree and then you've got to do 52 weeks of a, a practical and then that's you 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 become chartered after that now most people in my course used to do that practical every easter holiday summer holiday they had jobs with the councils uh, i had i had more fun things to do i used to teach windsurfing in the summer uh, and teach skiing in the, in the winter so I, I failed miserably to go and do my my, my practical work so i was left in a situation where i had to you know, get a, a job, a year's job as a, as a trainee, effectively. Uh, so I was applying for jobs. I had two job offers at the time. I had one with, I think it was Midlothian Council. I can't quite remember. It was one of the Lothian Councils. And then by chance, I'd managed to get an, an interview with a company called Shanks & McEwen. And Shanks & McEwen were a big private waste company that ran mainly landfill sites across the UK. Um, so as it turned out, after struggling for a few months to get a job, I ended up with two job offers. <laughs> the the first one, the council one, I think if I remember right, it was about £12,500 a year it was paying. And the, the Shanks and McEwen one was paying the price the sum of £8,500 plus the use of a company van. <laughs> so I was left with this a bit of a dilemma. I went to see my lecturer, a guy called Colin Clark, who's now Dr Colin Clark. Uh, at the university and I, I said, said to him, you know, what should I do? Which one should I take? And his, his view was very much that I should take the Shanks and McEwen one because that, that opportunity would, would never come up again or unlikely to come up again. So even with the less money, I did take the, the, 
the, the, the Shanks and McEwen one. And I, I did that role for pretty much five years and, and developed that role quite considerably. Uh, and from a, from my point of view, it was an excellent uh, foundation because effectively what I was doing was looking after the environmental monitoring uh, at a number of landfill sites across the UK. So I used to cover sites in Aberdeen, Central Belt of Scotland and all the way down to Wales. So I used to get to see all the all the different sites, all the different problems we might have, all all the all the various issues. Uh, so from a learning point of view, it was it, it was excellent, and it also suited me in the sense that it was it was quite an active role. So you used to go out, you know, walk walk around the site, take water surf, surface water samples, sample the groundwater, check gas levels around the site, and 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 so on. So there was the the site work, but then you yeah, obviously had to write that up and interpret it. And and then over the years that 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 role progressed, that I was doing site audits, environmental audits, compliance audits, and so on. Uh, and and that was really the. The journey into waste management from there, I, I got probably got a little bit frustrated uh, that there were no sort of opportunities to move on. I used to I used to go to sites and see all the sort of some of the issues that were there, and I used to think all the managers were were idiots and didn't have a clue what they were doing. <laughs> uh, and then I, I got an opportunity to move to a company, Bar Environmental, that was set, setting up a waste management uh, division. And I was the the site manager effectively for that 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 operation, and I very quickly realised that the site managers weren't really idiots. They just had so many different competing uh, priorities. You know, whether it was staffing issues, you know, getting contractors to work, getting machinery fixed, all these different things, and and, and really at the end of the day, quite often the 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 actual operation, you know, dealing with the customers is absolute priority and then some of the other things maybe like the environmental compliance maybe fall down the list a little bit and you know they shouldn't but that that's the reality of a manager's role so i worked for five years there uh, running two landfill sites one down in ayrshire and one up at dumbarton and at the time we were taking some like half a million tons of waste per annum you know so it's a lot of vehicle movements yeah. never never stops you know, it stops on Christmas Day, it stops on New Year Day, but that, the reality is that you know people continue to produce rubbish, so you've got to, mm. you've got to be able to uh, accept it and deal with it. And, and at that time, that was before. That's going back to nineteen, sort of ninety-five, and that was before there was any sort of recycling. You know, and the whole sector's moved on quite, yeah, quite a bit from there, uh, and that probably leads you on to your next question. I'm, I'm cheating here a little bit. We see that Heather's very kindly let me see see some of the questions. So uh, yeah, I'm probably, probably jumping ahead. <laughs> no, that's okay. There's actually quite a few things there. I didn't even know myself. I was thinking, oh, I've probably heard all, all of this before, um, but certainly not. So it's quite interesting. So I didn't actually know you had to do the 52 weeks uh, work experience and things. So I mean, that's something you don't really consider. And that probably does pave the way for a lot of people who kind of finish their degree and then it might be a case of whatever they can get in terms of you know the jobs that are available to get experience and that often can can lead people down a path and um, obviously I'll go on to ask you you know what what was the the journey and did, did you intend to end up where you did sort of thing um but I think with a lot of careers is also just 
you know, you, you, as you said, you come out of university, you try and find a job, you feel as though that's the next thing. And you, before you know it, you're, you're five, ten years into something. You think, oh, this is, this is where I've ended up my career. You probably couldn't have written it. But it's interesting to know and um, that, you know, you went from, I suppose, with Shanks, you done your, your year and then continued to roll for another kind of four or five yeah, yeah. I, I think I think it's quite interesting. Some some roles are very focused on on getting chartered status. So if you train to be an accountant, you know the focus is to become you know chartered. If you mm-hmm. if you do engineering, the focus is to become ch- chartered, and that's the the sort of gateway after your degree, if you like. Uh, whereas some some sectors are, are are much less focused on 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 being chartered. So obviously, I never. I never actually did the environmental health. I've still not done uh, the environmental. It was interesting because I was actually asked to talk at the I talked this year at the Rehis conference up in Aberdeen, uh, and I was sort of explaining the story that I was one of the 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 environmental health ones that that, that got away. They never, I never actually managed to get myself chartered for um, environmental health. I did obviously get myself chartered for the the institute of waste management which is the equivalent for, for for the waste sector if you like and i think it's really important if people are working in the sector that they look at where you know where they can get themselves chartered you know whether it's you know doing the qualifications doing the cpd whatever it is you need to do it and just having that as a you know a, a next step after the qualifications mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's really interesting and i suppose as you said that's that's where you ended up and and that's the journey that led you, I suppose, to Albion Environmental. So after your time at Bar Environmental, is would the next step be setting up Albion? Would that be right? No, there's a wee there's a wee gap in the middle there. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was a bit of a there was a bit of a wrong turning in life, if you like. Uh, right. So I, I was at Bar till till September 2001, I think it was, and I decided that I was leaving to join. Um, a small incineration company that was based at Irvine. So they had a a clinical waste incinerator and they had a what I would call an an animal rendering site where, it sounds a bit gruesome here, sorry for the listeners, (laughs) uh, where they would take, it was was BSE uh, cattle, so so mad cow disease, uh, so cattle infected with that, and they would incinerate them and destroy them uh, as part of an infection control process so it had two two facilities so I'd managed to talk myself into the fact that I was going from the sort of low-tech end of the sector you know running landfill sites to the the sort of high-tech sector which was the, the the incineration side the problem was the owner or sorry not the owner of the company the, the ownership of the company was getting interesting it was, it was four uh, investors effectively some of them used to fly up in the wee private planes to Prestwick Airport to visit the site and so on. But the the, the actual manager, who was an extremely bright guy, w- was was effectively a lunatic, uh, and and the place was was not great at all. And I I remember quite vividly driving home from my first day at work, thinking, "What on earth have I done?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the time, my my son was a year and a half old, probably, and I I was the main revenue and earning in a family if you like mm-hmm. so there's a bit of pressure but I actually use I've been thinking about I'd been thinking about setting up myself in business for a while uh, you know doing sort of waste management consultancy and training and that was really the push I needed 
so I pretty much decided that at that point I was going to I was going to set myself up from the first of January two thousand twenty two. Sorry, two thousand two. Uh, and what was actually quite interesting about that was I was able to actually use that period to do all the all the sort of faffy things you need to do when you set up business. You know, you need to set up a bank account, you need to get an accountant, you need to do all these different things. Uh, and I was able to sort of do them. The, the company worked 24 hours a day, so I managed to convince the management I would do a, I would do an afternoon, a back shift, I would do sort of lunchtime to evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it meant I could set up meetings for setting up Albion in, in, yeah. in, in the sort of mornings and so on. So when it came to the 1st of January, well, I don't think I started the 1st of January, I think I waited till the 2nd of January, <laughs> uh, or, the, or the 3rd maybe. Yeah, but when it came to starting, I was able to sort of hit the ground running with no none of that sort of admin stuff that often takes takes a while to set up Uh, but it was it was definitely a long four months sitting there trying to try to make sure there were no disasters Mm -hmm. on the site that you know effectively would have affected my reputation Uh, and 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 you know in lots of ways looking back it was quite a dangerous place to work and 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 unfortunately it's no longer in business uh, because it wasn't a you know, it wasn't it wasn't a good environment at all. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think, as you said, you know, you hear it time and time again. What kind of made you start up your own business, or what made you take the plunge? I think some people think about it for years, and more often than not, people have the same story. They've taken a job, or something's happened that they've went, "Oh no, this is this isn't it for me," and it's kind of now or never. You think, "I've got an idea. Let's go for it." Sometimes, if you're too comfortable. You think, oh well, I'm happy where I am. As you said, you'd your first, your young child. You, you start, start to think, well, an income's an income, but you know, obviously, 20 years down the line, I'll be environmental. Where you've grown, you're successful, and you probably think that was what I moved to make. And it doesn't matter if you made a mistake at the time. Probably felt like the worst choice in the world to to take that new job, but it has worked out. So that's nice to hear, and I think it gives people that better confidence as well because there's probably people out there in the same position at the moment whether it's within the waste and resource management industry or anything really they've maybe especially since covid they've maybe realized you know they've lost a job or taken a job and now might be the time to just take, to take the plunge um if they've got an idea so yeah. that's really interesting to hear and really positive as well one um, one of the one of the one of the interesting things there was, was, was a a customer i had when it was a bar quite a good customer uh, the company had moved this incineration company was his competitor effectively so I think either the first after my first day or my second day I had a phone message left in my house phone mm-hmm. uh, and it was it was basically whatever you do when you get in phone me oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's never a good sign is it? And, oh dear and he was quite he was quite a big guy quite a, i wouldn't say an aggressive guy but we, we, we sort of the sort of guy you wouldn't you wouldn't like to mess with him, something yeah <laughs> so i was like hesitantly phoned him and it, it, it was like his first opening line was why did you not why did you not you know what have you done why did you not tell me and i i, I basically said if i told you you would have talked me out of it and he said, "You're absolutely right." But one of one of one of the good things he told me, and that 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 was probably the sort of catalyst. Was like, he said, "View it as a stepping stone, mm-hmm. you know, view it as a as a stepping stone to move on." And that was yeah, probably yeah. what they gave me the little bit of a push to 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 go on. And it was actually one of his contacts that gave me 
uh, a contact where I was actually able to get sort of three days work a week, right. which was excellent in terms of yeah. starting up. Uh, and again, another thing I learned with this this particular customer, I was I was always I was obviously worried about how things would work and all the rest in terms of finances, and and I was wanting to set up a contract. And this this uh, farmer that runs a site had never signed a contract in his life. His view his view is always, you know, we shake our hands and it will we'll, we'll do the deal. Yeah. But what he did say, he said to me, he says, I'm not going to sign a contract, but if at the end of the month you bring your invoice in, I'll give you a check there and then. Oh, wow. And okay. and that's that's literally what we did for sort of two, three years where okay. I, I was paid. And that that helps the cash flow significantly. Yeah, so massively. Uh, it makes a big difference. And and, and things that I think that difference now is going back 20 years things that could happen and happen quite readily whereas now I think we're more formal about things and that, that mm-hmm. these things don't quite happen as easily maybe yeah, uh, yeah. With, with with type that type of people in the sector so that was that that was effectively how I started uh I'll be in so I think uh Initially, I think when I started, I, I, I sort of remember almost looking over my shoulder and thinking, like, oh, this can it be this easy? I've got I've got customers, <laughs> I've got revenue coming in. It's like you know, and everybody everybody had been telling me how hard it was, and I was like, well, I've got these customers and this doing this and I'm doing that, and 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 for the first certainly for the first few months. Uh, you know, it was like it can't be this easy. There must be yeah, a catch. There must good. be a catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was very much about. You know, if anybody is setting a business, it's very much about keeping your contact, keeping your network open, and 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 as I call it, sowing the seeds. You know, just mm-hmm. talking to people and and just finding what they're up to and, and thinking about and explaining what you're up to, and and generally the work the work will come to you, especially if it's just if you're just one person, because you don't mm-hmm. you don't need a massive amount of person work to keep one person going. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So you started off two thousand two. On your own, how long did it take before you kind of expanded and brought anyone else on board to work alongside you? I can't actually remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a year, a year and a bit, a year about. I did take a, I did take a, a definite decision at the time. I was thirty-two, so I, def, I did take a decision that I wasn't going to stay, if you like, self-employed, just myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took a decision I was going to take people on, but I wasn't going to you know, getting into lots of debt or borrow lots of money to do it, it was going to sort of try and grow organically. Mm-hmm. So I think it was probably about a year, year and a half after that, I took somebody on. And then and then I think probably sort of three three years in, we maybe had a team of sort of four or five people and just, just yeah. gradually. A lot of the way we started out, and we, we still do this, is, is I use subcontractors quite a bit. So mm-hmm. I would get people to do work, you know, that, you know, in their area of expertise, mm-hmm. uh, and and we still do that now to 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 make sure we're managing the workload because that's that's often the challenge. You know, people people say it's uh, you know you go self-employed, so you, you're your own boss, but the reality is you're not your your own boss. You've got like twenty customers who are all your boss, and and yeah. and all all expect you to drop everything and 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 you know help them out when they're they're struggling and uh, so there is a lot about just some sort of managing workload and 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 mm-hmm. you know expectations of clients uh, as, as as best you can 
Yeah, that's interesting you said about subcontractors. Obviously, we know that Albion still does that at the moment, and that's how you started. And and I think has that maybe got a lot to do with the such a variety of work that is in the sector that you could potentially do as a consultancy. You could have the biggest team in the world, but there'll still be jobs that come up that you think I don't have the internal resource for that because it is every job is different as we've, we've came to learn. Yeah, no, absolutely. We're, we're... My initially, my vision for the the, the company was that I actually tried not to call myself. So, so effectively, we do we do consultancy and training for the waste management sector. That that's what the organisation does. Uh, and I tried for a good few years not to call myself a consultant because mm. I thought we provided much more sort of practical on the ground support for clients. But the reality is that's what people end up calling you. So you've you've yeah. just got to you've got to stick with it. Uh, so. The sorry, I've totally lost my thread here. <laughs> what, did, what did you ask again? Sorry. Yeah, so just about obviously how different each job is and and how like varied the industry is and and that obviously that's why you you could have the biggest team in the world and not still have enough enough people to cover some types of jobs that come in. Well, that's that's exactly. You, you've either got you've either got capacity issues in terms of time scale, so you need people to, to help, or or you've got specific expertise. Mm-hmm. Uh, the likes of Craig Chandler, who still is a subconsultant for us, uh, he started back in in 2002. He was actually employed. He was employed by the company I used to work for, Shanks McLoon at the time, and he used to do weekends and nights nights for us. You know, and the likes of him, he's got you know loads of expertise, really technical health and safety, really technical in terms of hazardous waste. You know, and we still rely on him for that that expertise. And and then some of the big consultancies rely on us for our expertise when when they're struggling. So, and and that's you know from an Albion point of view, we're probably actually quite a big specialised waste management team in Scotland, mm-hmm. which is what often happens with the big uh, consultancies, is they'll have maybe one or two people that specialise in waste management in Scotland. And when they try and price for a job, what they do is pull people up from the rest of the UK. Right. So we're probably actually one, although we're a relatively small company, we're probably one of the bigger teams that's, that's, that, that's actually uh, based in Scotland. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And I suppose now, your team has grown to is it 12 about 12 full-time um permanent staff we have at the moment <laughs> i'm it, racking my about, brain there to think of everyone picturing them sitting in their chairs at the office it's about it's about 12 but the challenge is doing full-time equivalents because everybody's in uh well not everybody but quite a lot of people are on various forms of flexible working whether it's three days a week or four days a week or four and a half days a week or, or, or whatever it is so uh, it, it's been sitting around it's been sitting around the sort of 12 14 people for the last few years we're yeah. probably uh, starting to expand just before covid hit and then covid was fairly as it was for many businesses it's been been fairly tough and i think it's still been fairly tough this year and uh, in, in terms of moving forward there's still a lot of uncertainty out there uh, but we've got a good a good solid team at the moment so uh, yeah. long long may that continue mm-hmm. yeah i mean that definitely helps and as you said during during uncertain times um so i suppose well we've kind of talked about it a wee bit but my question was going to be you know 
how did you mean to enter this industry and or this type of role or you know as we, we talked about was it just a case of that's how your your training your experience you had to take when you finished university and that led you down this path or did you always have in the back of your mind you know I'm really interested in the waste industry and resource management or anything or was it one of those ones you think oh how did I end up here <laughs> If I'm being totally honest, I was probably like most young people where I'd put not very much thought into where I was going. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and uh, you know, sort of looking back, and I think I think my view was I was gonna I was gonna do environmental health, and then my I think it, for some reason my ambition at the time was in the early years when I was at Shanks was actually get a job with the what they called the River Purification Boards. Okay. So before the Scottish Environment Protection Agency, Scotland was split into, I can't remember, I think there was a, a, a Clyde River Purification Board, a fourth, and a, I can't remember the one up north was called. Uh, and they got, so effectively the waste, the sort of waste environmental function got, got moved. So they looked after the rivers and the water quality, and then the waste management was looked after by the environmental health. And effectively, Scottish Environment Protection Agency was formed by joining these two together, uh, and and that's and that was 1996, I think that happened. So at one point, I was quite keen, and I did go for a few interviews and stuff uh, for river purification purification mm -hmm. board jobs, uh, but I was never successful. So I ended up having to stay where I was. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I mean, there's always something that leads you down the path. So whether it's a rejection or if it's a planned journey I suppose it's, it's good to know that it works out in the end um well I suppose I mean I would hope you, you would probably say the highlight or your favorite part would be setting up your own business and becoming successful but before that did you have any favorite role or something that you done you thought oh really really enjoyed this or or even somewhere that you know gave you the amount of experience and confidence to to help you get to where you are at the moment it was the teaching scheme <laughs> it was well, a I mean, you need to be confident for that. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was. It was not actually the teaching skiing. It was. A, it was the finishing the lesson and being able to go skiing myself was the the, the highlight. No, I think I think uh, in terms of the the day, what's the day job now? You know, certainly the mm -hmm. the role at Shanks McEwen, the environmental monitoring role, was was you know really key because I got so much experience I got so much experience seeing all these different sites and it used to, it used to get to the stage where I'd turn up at the site for example Aberdeen and the foreman would literally be starting standing waiting for me and and they would be like come on I've got a wee problem down here you need to come and have a look at it yeah. and I was like no I've got I've got work to do I've got work to do and he's no no you need to come down and have a look at it mm -hmm. and I was you know at the time I was young I was I was young hey, low 20s sort of thing and I used to go down and, and and the way I used to deal with it, I used to turn around and say to them, well, what are you thinking? What, what are you thinking of doing? Mm -hmm. And you would sort of question them as to what they were thinking. Of. And they would come out nine times at 10, they'd thought through what they needed to do, but they were just needing this sort of reassurance they were doing the right thing. And you'd, yeah. you know, you'd say to them, but if you do that, that'll happen. What, 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 you know, how will that work? How, how will you be able to do that? That type of thing. And, and I learned just from these conversations alone. I used to learn a, a, a lot about how you, how you deal with things, and, mm -hmm. and, 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 and just that, you know, nine times out of ten, the people on the ground have got so much more knowledge in their head than, 
year of the eyes, yeah. but they're, they're often quite, I'm not saying scared to put it out there, but they're maybe a bit reluctant to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think that that's kind of experiences second to none. Like you don't learn more than being on the job and, and seeing it firsthand. And I suppose I think that's something that even I've noticed that, that you've kind of tried to instill in your, your leadership and, um, you know, bringing anyone on and into the firm, especially myself with, you know, not much background before I joined Albion. And, you know, I noticed straight away you're kind of like, get stuck in there, come and see this, come and do that. And you're right, it's the only way to learn because you could sit and read about it, talk to people about it, but until you saw it kind of with your own eyes and firsthand, then, um, yeah, I think it's really hard to, to actually to learn about it and uh, gain experience. So, and I think that's, that's interesting that you said that was your kind of, strength or something that gave you the confidence to go out on your own because you've obviously carried that through to, to your own business which is really good um so I suppose well I was going to say what's your long-term vision for Albion but you know we're, we're you're 20 years in now you your 20th anniversary in 2022 as Albion at the moment Albion Environmental what you envisioned it to be way back in 2002 when you started did you have a plan did you one of those people that set out a 10-year plan or did you just think let's take the plunge see how this goes I think I think it probably took till about ten years before we actually put a plan together. <laughs> I, well, the fact you made it to ten without a plan is <laughs> good in itself, to be honest. I used to, I used to have a competitor that told me every time I met him, oh, it gets really tough after a year, and then it's, mm. after a year I'd be okay, and it, oh, it'd be really tough after two years, and so it went on until until eventually gave gave up saying that. Uh, no, I, I think the very early I learned that you you need you need to keep there was nothing worse than you've been really busy doing all the work and then suddenly the work finishes and you're like oh, what have I got next to do what did, what did I need? And, and that probably gets worse and worse the more staff you have the, the, the harder that gets mm-hmm. so over over the years we have done various plans in terms of vision but I think the a, a lot of the key is you know, looking at what the customers need, building up that relationship with the customers, because that that's then what drives the the, the work. And I think probably one of the the frustrations I have with the company is we do have lots of opportunities. There's lots of different things we're trying to do, and and there's a limit to how much time we can spend on all these different things because we've still got to make sure the 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 the, the, the revenue is coming in, and that's that's probably partly why you got employed in the first place <laughs> uh, and I'm sure I'm sure we can have a wee podcast about you know your, your background and the, the KTP and Innovate UK mm-hmm. and all, all, all that stuff uh, at a later date but that that's you know we do we do have lots of opportunities we've got lots of ideas uh, and probably if anything the, the one of the biggest I feel like criticisms of, of us is we're probably not as good as we should be about sharing out what we do and I think that whole idea of these podcasts which the more the more I talk about them and the more sort of excited I get about them is is you know is to allow us to share what we do as Albion but it's also the the waste management sector is is is, is very poor at, you know they're very good about talking about waste management issues within waste management circles, mm-hmm. but we're very poor at getting getting that information out to the public. So yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, we can use these podcasts to, to try and get that information out there. You know, what is good in terms of environmental practice, in terms of waste management, but at the mm-hmm. same, same time, sort of showcase all the different careers that are, are, are there because, you know, we've 
we as an Albion have been doing training and vocational qualifications for you know 20 years mm-hmm. we've got a huge amount of knowledge but the actual sector is pretty poor at training and developing staff and it's going to get you know it's going to get worse if you look at a council uh, waste collection fleet you'll find that most of the drivers and loaders are over 50. Mm-hmm. you know the 15 years time or maybe not as long as 15 years time we're, we're going to have no loaders and drivers we're going mm-hmm. to have you know and, and that's a service that's provided to every house in the country once a week mm-hmm. you know and and that somehow that's what people expect and, and that service is good to continue and it's, it's it's not maybe not quite as simple as as, as lots of people think or yeah. they maybe don't actually think about it they maybe don't you know mm-hmm. all they care about is the bins being emptied you know yeah there's a big operation that sits behind that. Yeah, that that's interesting. That and that kind of leads on to what I was maybe going to talk about next. Is you know, a lot of people might think you only work in the sector or you've entered the sector because you were really really passionate about you know either the environment or you know you always had an issue with littering or you know something like a passion that's led you into this. Was that the case or do you think you know you're a opinions and habits of change because of this like do you think well I was interested I was environmental science is what I wanted to study just because that was what I was good at had an interest in and now obviously as you've learned a lot more and spent time in the sector you know you're you're really passionate about making a difference environmentally about everything about waste reduction consumption and everything like that do you think having your own business and working in the sector has changed your habits outside the workplace, or do you think you already had th- those those good habits be- beforehand? Uh, I think <laughs> not to put you on the spot there and out yourself, but it's it's interesting because I think sometimes you think, well, it's easier for them to say they know everything about it, and but you know, was that something that was already there, or do you think you know you've you've changed your habits because of of the job you do and the sector you're in? I think I think. Yeah, I think, I think certainly I'm I'm really conscious of of, of waste uh, and and you know resource management. You know, as, as a kid, you know, sometimes I used to do courses for council, and it's you know I used to talk about you know people buying 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 loads of crap at Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then come January, they throw they throw last year's crap out, or or sometimes before Christmas, the the they clean out the house and throw out all the crap they bought last year, and then buy yeah. more crap, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that's not that's not sustainable, uh, and 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 in the long term. But but you know we're very much, you know, I think sometimes if you if you discuss that with people, you're you're viewed as a sort of Scrooge, you're viewed as a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a mini, you're viewed as, as various things. But I think certainly in the last few years, the agenda with a, a much more awareness of climate change and resource mm-hmm. use, you know, and I think I think even just people being short, you know, short of cash at the moment, yeah, you know, there's yeah. there's much more sort of recognition of do I do I actually really need to buy that new iPhone or or you know this iPhone, you know. There's that much, there's not that much difference between the new one and the old one. Therefore, you know, don't really need to 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 buy that new one. So I think probably I'm sort of conscious of of sort of you know the recycling side in the in the house, if you like. But I'm also very conscious of of do you actually need to buy something new? Can you mm-hmm. can you get can you go and get it repaired? Can you go and get it fixed? Uh, you know the 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 classic I've got and. I think you might be coming to this is you know I, I do a fair bit of running <laughs> and you know if you, if you enter a race you get a t-shirt 
And it's yeah. like, I've got a drawer full of t-shirts. So it take me half the year to wear every t-shirt I've got in the drawer. And the reality is I wear the ones that get to the top of the drawer and that's all, the, all you know, the ones at the bottom never, never get, uh, mm-hmm. never get worn. You know, so there's organizations like uh, tree, uh, Trees Not Tees. Mm-hmm. So a lot of races now, when you sign up, you can rather than get a t-shirt, they'll, they'll donate money so a tree gets planted in your behalf. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and that works most of the time. But then if you do a big race, if you do a fancy race, a special race, you know, you can do the London Marathon or whatever, then you maybe want yeah, that T-shirt. You, want, yeah. you know, there's a, a, a reason for that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that sort of thing, you know, pe- I think people are, people are really focused on if I recycle, then it's OK. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. the reality is we shouldn't be producing the waste in the first place. Yeah. You know, that's where the big, the big uh, environmental improvement is. You know, the example, quite often if I do a training course, I'll, I'll purposely go in with a, a bottle of water uh, that I bought out of the shop. Or mm-hmm. and, and normally I'll be bought a water I filled out of the tap. It'll be a bottle, you know, an old bottle in my house. And what I say to them is, you know, if every single pe- person in the UK bought one less bottle, as in mm-hmm. if they reuse a bottle once, that's 60 million less bottles produced in the UK. Yeah, you know, and when you look at that sort of scale, so it's all everybody making a little bit of a difference, mm-hmm. make, makes a huge, huge, you know, a huge change, and mm-hmm. that's you know, the, 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 there's there's too much focus on the recycling rather than the not producing the waste in the first place, and if you do produce the waste in the first place, you know, can you reuse it and get some additional value out of it before before mm-hmm. you discard it? Uh, but that's hard messages for for government to get across and and, yeah. and people to take on but I think there's certainly a lot more awareness of it uh, and the same sort of principle applies to you know travel you know mm-hmm. can you walk to work can you cycle to work you know do you actually really need to use that car for the you know the five minute drive when you know it's actually in reality a 15 minute walk uh, yeah. and and you know it, there needs to be a lot more awareness of that type of thing I think within the wider population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like everything you're saying there, they're things that, you know, anyone can do, anyone can can look at the bigger picture. You don't have to be working in the industry, have specialist knowledge, have a degree. Okay, you guys tackle, you know, the issues that are always going to be there and how do we recycle better and how do we dispose of things better and have more environmentally friendly practices but it's not as difficult as that for for the the general public if if, as you said if one small change makes a massive difference and you know the the first one definitely since since the covid pandemic as well as you know reducing your travel changing your methods of travel and your consumption like they're they're two massive ones that can make huge differences and anyone can do as you said buying one less bottle of water a day or a week or you know taking the train or anything really i mean we saw all over the news at the start of the covid pandemic the differences and because there was no not really many much air travel happening or, or any travel really people weren't even commuting in cars or buses or trains and i think that was really interesting to see how that might captured the whole world but it was things as simple as that that people could understand so that is definitely the messaging we have to you know get out there it's not a really difficult thing you don't have to have specialist knowledge it's it's the big things like that, that that make the differences. So, yeah, I suppose hopefully that's what we're trying to get out there. Um, and while we're doing that, um, Albion and the rest of the, the sector are also trying to make the, the difficult and the big changes behind the scenes. 
so kind of moving on from that I suppose you, you've already talked about your running which if anyone knows Alistair knows he's a bit of a ultra marathon crazy man as we <laughs> explain him um so I suppose that's your 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 kind of main, main passion and, and hobby outside the work and that leads on to what I was going to discuss is with something so prevalent in everyday life no matter what you do where you are you're probably seeing a bit of waste on the ground that you think why is that not there or, or bins that people aren't using properly to recycle so are you able to switch off like at all from work and thinking about um the sector um when you're reminded constantly when you're out and about um and especially i know you do have other hobbies that, that keep you very busy but when you're out running can you switch off as you said you've come back to work before and told us oh it was this lovely race or this run at the weekend and there was people's rubbish in the middle of the woods and I debated whether should I pick it up and carry it with me to the next bin so I don't I think I might have already answered your question but, but <laughs> how easy do you find it to, to kind of switch off it or if you do how do you do it uh, I, I think as a first answer to that one a, a personal view is Scotland's approach to litter and the environment is just appalling. It's just an absolute disgrace that we 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 accept the amount of litter that's out there. And I think when you actually start noticing it and you start, you know, we worked with uh, or did a wee bit of help with a guy called Chris Johnson, uh, who's based in Presswick, and he decided he, he used to go litter picking with his daughter around the local park, and he decided he was going to keep a track of the number of items. And he actually organised this, uh, basically a Google page where people added in the number of, of, of items they picked up. And within some of the eight, eight months, you know, volunteers had picked over a million bits of litter in Ayrshire. Wow. And that's that's just that's just scandalous that we, we, mm-hmm. we, we, we accept that. And, and then the, the, the downside, the sort of follow on from that is you then get organisations thinking, you know, we need to stop the litter getting into the, the, the river, into the sea and so on. But the reality is if it wasn't put in the land, then it would never get into the sea. Yeah. You know, and we need to we need to just make it totally unacceptable that people uh, litter effectively mm-hmm. uh, and, and it does become frustrating you know you, you do go for a run in the middle of no place and you see litter and I, I will pick it up and carry it if, if I can possibly carry it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the, the, my sort of main hobby if you like is is, is, is running and as you say it's, it's, it tends to be longer distance stupid <laughs> races as people would call them uh, reality is work-wise uh, I think when you run your own business, you never you never really stop thinking about it. You're always having to think about it, and and I've often wondered. I've actually often wondered about the sort of ideal job where you can literally just go into work, do your work, and then leave. And I think it's things like I don't know. I, I might be talking out of turn here, but things like air traffic control, where you literally turn up, you do your shift, and then you pass on to somebody else, and you can walk away and, and not think about it. Whereas the, the business I'm in, you're, you're, you walk away, but you're still worried about doing the work for a customer. You're worried about getting a quote out. You're doing this, you're doing that. So there's always something in your mind uh, yeah. that that that's you know you've not been able to switch off. So uh, my my thought with the running is is when you when you're struggling to breathe because you're running hard. It's pretty hard to think about anything else. About yeah. So it soon, soon, soon provides you a leveler, but it also provides you a good time, you know, to think things through, and you know, mm-hmm. you just get a bit of space and freedom to think things through. So it's a good. Uh, I think it's good. I think 
anybody that's in business should have a hobby of some description or or, yeah. or, or, or some sort of thing. And I think that's challenging when people have young, you know, they're busy mm-hmm. work and they've got young family and all the rest. But I think it's really important that, that uh, you know, that, that Somebody, there's something there and I'm a huge huge fan of the this sort of park run mentality where it's mm-hmm. you know half past nine in Scotland it's half past nine a Saturday morning you know 5k walk jog run whatever you want yeah. to do you know and I'm a huge fan of that type of thing that that you know I think if more people were doing that you know the, the, the you know the, they would feel definitely feel the benefits of it overall mm-hmm. but we're going to I think part of the thing we're going to do with this podcast is when we we get uh, we talk about various things we're going to have some show notes where if there are interests and links or whatever uh, we'll put them on there and if anybody is interested in running and running you know lots lots of miles like the West Highland Way or, or, or you know the, the various different things I'll put up my I've got a little bit of a, a Google block with some blog with some stories and stuff on that if anybody is interested we'll, we'll share that up in the course notes or mm-hmm. the, the podcast notes yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's quite obvious that you you say to all of us and it's probably something that is it's really helped you over the years running your own business as having something else as you said I think a lot of people not even just running their own business but you know day-to-day life um people think oh well if I just spend another hour tonight I'll finish that bit for before tomorrow for work or you know it's having that hard stop if you say okay well I'm going to train tonight at seven o'clock so regardless of how my work day goes come six o'clock or whatever it is what time your day finishes I've got something in the diary I'm going and the work will be there tomorrow you pick it up and obviously there's times where you can't do that if something goes wrong especially if you're running your own business or there's things deadlines come out of nowhere but I think like you're really good at saying well that's what I do I train three nights a week and a weekend or I plan a run and that's a really good way to have a bit of balance and I think for everyone I mean that's what it's all about and being able to switch off and, and do a good job and try again tomorrow or whatever it is it's it's, it's nice to have and obviously Scotland's not really got the weather but we've certainly got the scenery so <laughs> um, it's good to get out and about and I suppose anyone in the sector as well is probably quite used to being being out in all, all weather and, and enjoying it so yeah it's good to know and it's, it's really interesting to hear like your, your stories from your races and, and being out and about so I think that's a lot of people will be interested to hear to hear that as well as along along with um the Albion journey and you are just quite quite a disciplined person which is good it goes a long way but I'm sure people can share a bit more about that and, and certainly put on your blog and any information you've got about some of the amazing challenges you've done um so that's good to know <clears throat> so I suppose um you know the question is what do you think's next for you or for Albion Environmental um you know outside of work but still kind of like sector related do you have any passion projects that you know or that you'll take on into the future that can allow you to feel like you're still making a difference whether it's you know after you stop working or if you take a start slowing down a bit in your career is there anything that you would or even that you could recommend that people who maybe don't work in the sector but want to make a difference can get involved in yeah the the one the the one i always uh, suggest i I do i do quite a bit of lecturing at uh, university of edinburgh and university of west of scotland on waste management and the the one i always say to students is international waste management Uh, to a certain extent in the uk we're 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 sort of tinkering at the edges we're Mm -hmm. we're 
you know, we've got a fairly good structure. You know, it might not be perfect, but we've got a good structure where, you know, we sort of recycle about half the waste uh, and we've got infrastructure to do that. We either landfill or incinerate the other half and we recover the energy from that. Uh, it's an overall, you know, it could be better, but overall, you know, we are pretty much managing what we produce. Whereas if you go to a large part of the developing world, they have literally no functional waste management system. Uh, and I spent back in so 2010, 2012, I spent time in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And 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 what you see there in terms of waste management is, is just shocking. And you hear about all the plastic in the ocean, and the plastic in the oceans is largely coming from countries where they don't have a functioning waste management system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of a lot of what we do in the UK and in the West focuses on the environmental benefit of waste management. Yeah. But ultimately, ultimately, the reason we developed a waste management system in the UK was because we had the plague in London, and the plague in London was rooted in unsanitary conditions, rats, rodents, that then led to the plague. And that's when we started, that's when the sort of basis of, you know, public health and waste management started. And, and the focused, you know, primary focus of managing waste properly is public health and preventing yeah. illness rather than environmental issues. And if that approach, you know, if you go to any sort of developing country, they don't have or, or quite often they don't have a functional waste management system. And that's, you know, if, if you're out there and you're young and you want to, you know, make a difference in the world, that that's where, to me, that's where you can make a massive difference. Yeah. Uh, and and there's, there's lots of opportunities out there to do that. Mm-hmm. And is that, I think, you, something you would revisit in the future? Would you go back <laughs> out and do another similar trip? Or even if it's not work-related, just... To, to, to see to tag along with someone. I eventually had to. The, I, I, I think I went to Congo, the Democratic Republic of Congo, about five times, and we also supported a two-week visit by delegates to here. But eventually, it was costing me too much money. The 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 the, the, the politics of it became too complex. Mm. The, the reality of what was the, you then you got involved in uh, taxation. They, they never had a proper taxation system, mm-hmm. so. You know, to get funding to manage waste, they needed to charge a tax, but then so that then became really political and so on. So it be- yeah. just became became quite uh, complicated. I would I would love to to get involved. We, we looked to doing some work out in Kenya and and and, mm-hmm. and various other places. But there's certainly, I think there's a lot of of of, of stuff. You know, we we could add as a, a company, and I think particularly with the remote working nowadays, is you know, yeah. there's a real there's a real opportunity to to do stuff. Uh, so I, I think if you're asking, have I got an inf- unfinished job? I think the unfinished job is, is, is you know, to have some sort of success and sort of yeah. making a contribution to international waste management uh, mm-hmm. would, would, would be a big one. But uh, uh, the last few years it's been hard enough to, to get in the day yeah, job to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. to keep going. So uh, I've not had much focus on that. But yeah, still something in the back of your mind. And I suppose even, you know, through your, your teaching and lecturing at UWS and Edinburgh, you'll, you'll, if you don't do it yourself, you're hopefully passing that on to students who will do it. And that's still a bit of your legacy as well. So I suppose that means you've always got, um, you know, some sort of hand in and involvement in being able to pass on what you learned there and what's needed um, probably will inspire some people to, to do the same, hopefully. 
so I suppose kind of following on from that that's a bit of a whirlwind of your last maybe 30 years of life I don't know if you, that is a good thing or a bad thing that you've managed to put it into uh, you know 40 minutes or so but um you know you, I think you've co- we've covered quite a lot a lot of interesting things um and you know I suppose something to, to kind of help us tie a bit together do you have any advice or words of wisdom to pass on to listeners or if you wanted to share one interesting fact or habit um, that people could pick up to help contribute to managing and improving recycling you know anything that if you know you were to meet someone completely no experience not sure what to do and that said to you Alistair how, how can I make a difference what can I do what would you say to them? The biggest one and the easiest one particularly for people in Scotland is literally every household in Scotland the council provides a food waste collection service currently it's something like 22 percent of the population actually use that food waste collection service and uh, so there's another 78 percent not using it and that you know the, the benefits of doing that so basically you would segregate your waste into a caddy you would get a week generally you get a weekly uplift uh, people say it's going to be yucky say it's going to be horrible the reality to me is putting food waste in a residual bin would be i've been doing the food waste for oh, since it came out probably five six seven years now you know if the council said to me i had to go back to putting in the bin i'd be like no i'm not doing that i don't want to do that yeah. because you know the caddy's hygienic it's handy you're making stuff you just tip it into the caddy whatever and the the, the sort of benefits to the householder is uh one you see how much food waste you're throwing out mm-hmm. and we all know the cost of food at the moment so you think yeah. well hang on a minute here why did i have to throw that loaf out because i've not used it what you know could i make it could i freeze it could i do different things and you look at how you can sort of minimize your 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 food waste mm-hmm. uh, and we talk when we do the waste compositional work we do as a company we talk about what we call avoidable food waste and unavoidable food waste so unavoidable thing is your you know your skin off your onion or your your mm-hmm. The, you know the, the ends of a pepper or thing like that that's uh, unavoidable whereas avoidable is where you've just let somebody go out a date or you've you've made too much or you whatever you know and 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 you know the avoidable amount of food waste that's thrown out is is, is massive you know and i reckon i can't remember the figures but it's something like three four hundred pound a year people can save by by managing their food better so mm-hmm. that's the benefit to the householder from the council point of view the collection's already been done. Uh, so they've already got vehicle coming around these houses anyway, so there's no extra cost to them. But the disposal of food waste is maybe only like, say, 20, 30 pounds a tonne. Whereas the residual waste is something like 120, 130 pounds a tonne. So yeah. it's much cheaper in terms of the disposal. The food waste itself goes to either an anaerobic digestion plant or a composting plant. So produces the energy, produces compost, it gets put back in the land. So there's huge environmental benefits there. And that's, we're hopefully going to get uh, some some guests that are, we're going to talk a lot more about anaerobic digestion and, and, and compost and so on and, and, and future podcasts uh, if, if, if people are interested. So there's a benefit to the householder in terms of saving cash. Your bin's much cleaner, cleaner and tidier, uh, and particularly nowadays when our residual bins maybe only getting li- lifted, you know, th- you know, every three weeks or four weeks. You know, you don't really want food sitting in that that, that bin. You want to use the the sort of weekly yeah. collection. Uh, so if you're not doing your food waste, 
basically start doing it you know if you, yeah. if you want if you want to if you want to contribute an improvement in the environment you know that's a massive one that people can do that's really simple you know yeah. you do, you don't need to go vegetarian for a month or whatever you just first, first do the easy step do the the low-hanging fruit first and, mm-hmm. and 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 start segregating out your food waste yeah uh, Absolutely, I think that that's a good bit of advice. And as you said, it's not costing anyone anything. It's not a big challenge. The infrastructure's in place, so yeah, get on it if you're not. So I suppose we've kind of got two finisher questions that we're going to hope to ask all the guests that we have on. So uh, one of them you might have just covered there, or you might have something different in mind. Um, but I was going to ask, um, in the waste world, if you had a magic wand, what is one thing you'd love to see changed? In 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 Scotland, the magic wand would be that every household has the same colour of bins, <laughs> the same waste types to put in these bins, and the same collection frequency. And I think if we managed to do that, that would make a huge difference across Scotland, because it is quite a nonsense that we have different collection, different frequencies, different waste types at twenty six different. Sorry, 30, 32 local 32, authorities. Yeah. 32, sorry. I don't know where 26 came from. 32 local authorities across Scotland. And it's mm-hmm. a, something that could be, you know, a really simple. That would also, as well as giving certainty to householder, it would give a lot of certainty to the waste management companies that end up dealing with that waste. That they know that, you know, that is, you know, that, you know, that currently at the moment you've got maybe mixed recycling coming from one council that contains glass, but then you've got another council that doesn't contain glass. So they've got to set up their equipment to deal with the different material types and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's, that's my, you know, magic wand magic you'd one. wish whether yeah, we'll ever get there or not. A great one, to be honest. And the way you say it, it sounds like we wouldn't even need a magic wand, but it is a lot harder than, than it sounds um, to do that. But I think that's a great one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so final question, I suppose. Uh, I might put you on the spot a wee bit here, so you could maybe pick something that you've already talked about if you want. Um, but can you give us a bit of waste industry jargon and tell us what it means? If, if we're sharing a bit of knowledge here with people, pick one of your faves. Uh, I was I just I was actually struggling with this one. I was struggling with one, but the one the one that I, I suppose is probably most prominent because it's it's probably when I first started Albion, it was probably about a third of the workload that we did. So the one I'm going to use is a thing called Wamatab. <laughs> that if you're in the waste industry, everybody talks about doing their Wamatab, and effectively Wamatab stands for Waste Management Industry Training and Advisory Board. And it was an entity set up. So back in, I think it's probably 96, the government thought that uh, waste management facilities weren't very well run. So it said, how can we improve how they had run? We can make it, we need to make it mandatory for the managers of these facilities to do a qualification uh, to be qualified to manage these uh, facilities. And, and that's what they introduced. And, and the overarching body that, that sort of managed these qualifications was called WAMATAB. Uh, so now everybody talks about, you know, doing their WAMATAB, having their WAMATAB and, and all the rest. Effectively, what sits behind that is vocational qualifications uh, that you can do through uh, SQA in Scotland. Uh, but that that's the one that's been you know, probably one that I've been involved in for the, for the, for the longest. Uh, and people outside the sector probably have no 
clue at all what my death <laughs> is or, or, or what it means. Uh, so yeah. there you go. That was my... Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's interesting and it's something I suppose everybody well, probably came across at some point and heard it and thought, what on earth does that possibly mean? <laughs> so <laughs> so now we know. Um, we'll keep a wee note and I'm sure we'll, we'll think of plenty more. There's a lot that even I have came across since working with Albion Environmental that I thought I couldn't even dream up what that could possibly <laughs> stand for. So I'm sure we'll have a list. Um, but well, I think that kind of takes us to, to the end of, of most of the, the topics we wanted to cover, Alistair. And um, it was a really good insight into you, Albion Environmental. And obviously it was our, our first official episode of the Rubbish Talk podcast. So um, it was a good intro to you. And hopefully going forward now, it'll be up to yourself me and Jane Bond between the three of us to, to interview and get some insight from um, a whole host of different people from, from across the sector. I know we've got a, a list already of some interesting people we want to hear from um, and we hope the listeners want to hear from as well. So um, we'll, we'll get them lined up as, as soon as we can, hopefully. So yep. um, for me, really, I just wanted to say thank you for giving us your time, giving us your story. Um, and you know giving us the idea for the podcast I think it's great and it's everything you covered about education and getting the word out there this is this is a great way to do it and, and hopefully quite an enjoyable one as well get me a bit of personal information background and and some really interesting insights into the industry as well so thanks very much absolutely thank you for being the the the, the star you're obviously the star interviewer because we've, we've got, this is our, our first our first one i think i think just for for people listening you know we, we have got we've got various ideas in terms of who who we're going to who we're going to try and target for for interviews our plan is to do these uh fortnightly uh, and i think the plan is to release them on a sort of thursday uh, late late on a thursday uh fortnightly uh, we are interested, you know, if people have got, you know, questions or topics or things they'd like us to cover, uh, you know, let, let, let us know, you know, we're, we're, you know if, we, if, if we can do it, we'll, 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 we'll try and fit it in. Uh, the plan at the moment is really to do sort of interviews, you know, try and get experts in the field, but we're quite happy also doing sort of a Q&A type session, uh, you know, if people have got particular niggles or worries about you know I, I know there's a lot of misinformation about what happens to waste and, and and where it goes and why things happen and we're quite happy to you know try and answer these questions and, and nine times at ten if we can't answer then we'll know somebody that can answer and that'll probably lead us on to you know other other podcast interviews absolutely yep that's the plan anyway so um from us we would say thanks everyone for listening um we will be fortnightly episodes. This one will be released um, beginning of January, 5th of January, 2023, and then fortnightly thereafter. So, um, you know, you can subscribe, keep an eye out on, on the Rubbish Talk podcast. Um, and in the episode notes, we'll have some contact information to send queries, questions, topic ideas, anything you want to know. Um, you can get in touch with, with one of the team and hopefully we'll answer your questions along the way. Um, but Thanks everyone for tuning in and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks again, Alistair, and you'll hear from us both very soon. Thank you.